welcome to This Week in James City County. I'm your host, Renee Dolman. Today, we are once again joined by County Administrator Scott Stevens. Welcome, Scott. Well, hey, Renee, it's great to see you again, I guess. <laughs> Remember when we did this in person last month and it was like, oh, we're so glad. I know. It's been really nice through the summer to be back in person meetings and not as much Zoom. And I think, uh, uh, again, as close as we generally are when we're doing these podcasts, I do think going back to the Zoom format for a month or two, I hope, is uh, is the right thing to do. Agreed. So, <laughs> so you have a lot of stuff to talk about, I think. What's going on? You know, here it's the end of August. It's been, uh, if, if people didn't know it was summer, it has felt like summer the last little bit. So, uh, you know, we get through another couple of weeks of this and then we'll all be excited about fall and cooling off. So enjoy the weather while it's here. But always with summer and this time of year, I do want to remind people hurricane season for us runs through November 30th. And just to make sure, uh, not that I'm wishing anything this way and there's nothing on the horizon today, uh, but that you need to be prepared to take care of your family for three to seven days. That means pets and kids and medications and all those things. So just make sure you're ready for whatever might come up. And so uh, I hope we miss it this year, but just want to mention that as a reminder to us all. Um, the other thing, I, I normally start with some of the board information that's going on and I'll do that or I'll get to that. But I do want to talk about COVID a little bit and what's going on with the rising case counts and things of that nature. And, and just to reassure the community, we have continued to talk with the other localities throughout the summer, not quite as frequent as we have uh, through August. But, you know, we're talking with other city managers, county administrators, emergency managers, the Department of Health and our hospital systems a lot of staff on a very regular basis so that we all know what the others are experiencing and what they're trying to do and what their thoughts are. Um, and again, that level of effort has been going on throughout COVID that has not quit through the summer. And we've been more intense in that through August because of the rising case counts. And um, you know, I will tell you in talking with our hospital systems, what people are hearing nationwide happens to be true here as well, uh, and that the, the, those that are primarily being admitted to the hospital, a very high percentage are people that are unvaccinated. And so that is something that if you have been on the edge about getting vaccinated and you're not sure if the news is correct, I can tell you locally, a very high percentage of people being admitted to the hospitals are the unvaccinated. It's not to say vaccinated people aren't being admitted as well, but they're a much less percentage of the overall. So that would tell me, at least in our local area and talking with our medical professionals here, the vaccine at least prevents or lessens the disease for most that might uh, still acquire it. So with the Pfizer approval of their vaccine or FDA approving Pfizer, uh, uh, the vaccine uh, with full approval and not just for emergency use, I hope that could be the tipping point for many becoming comfortable and because um, we continue to hear from those in the medical field that getting people vaccinated is our biggest tool against this, whether um, you believe it is or not, that is what's coming from the medical community and it's certainly what I've supported of trying to encourage people to make the right decision for themselves. Uh, but with FDA approval, I'm hopeful that will move us as well. I do want to try to just share screen just to We'll see how this works, Renee. You know, sometimes things go and sometimes not. Uh, but I want to at least uh, let those that uh, like graphs or can see charts. This was our peak uh, back in the January timeframe, and we were tracking cases per day. And so this is anywhere, you know, 40 to 60 to 80, sort of 80 being our peak cases per day back in the winter. And again, you go through the line and it comes on down and we're back through the summer. June timeframe was pretty low, just a few cases per day. And then we're back up today uh, at the end of August of about 35 or so cases per day. So again, not trying to say anything other than we've had these peaks and um, this one uh, is expected to go a little longer for us as well. And, and 
Uh, I don't have a, a firm projection on when that would end, but I just want to share it with residents that are listening. It's real. Uh, the case counts are rising for residents of James City County. We've been keeping track of that on a daily basis, uh, pulling VDH information so that we can see what's going on here. And I just want to commend our staff and reassure the community that we are paying attention to this, and it is still a very serious disease. So what, when it moves into that, uh, we've talked a, lo a lot in the region with other localities. Uh, you're hearing it from other employers of kids going back to school, and it's the vaccine mandate. Um, of the 17 Hampton Road localities, a handful, five or six of them at this point I'm aware of, and mostly the larger uh, localities, do have a, what they've called a vaccine mandate for their employees, meaning their employees have to get vaccinated or they have to provide proof of a weekly negative test. And so I haven't quite gotten there for James City County. That's been a struggle for me, particularly when uh, we were under emergency use of the vaccine. The hospital systems had, had announced that once the vaccine or stated once the vaccine received FDA approval, they would require it of hospital employees. That has now happened that they have shared that, that their employees are required to get vaccinated. Or again, I think they do the weekly testing as well. Um, one step we are implementing ahead of a, a vaccine mandate, again, I haven't said that I won't do it, I just have struggled with that being the right choice for James City County, but what we are doing is asking our employees who are vaccinated, and again, I believe the percentage is a very high percentage in the 70 to 80 percent range, uh, I'll have really accurate numbers for those that want to share. It is HIPAA-protected information, so I can't make an employee tell me. I could make them tell HR or register, but that doesn't let me as the county administrator or department heads know who is vaccinated or who is not. And so we're working on those employees that are willing to share their vaccination status with us, and we will know by department sort of our percentages of those willing to share that they're vaccinated. We're not making them share. We are asking because that is what we can do. We can ask. Uh, we've had a very good response to that. And then what we will do, and I've had at least some criticism, is we will set our employee badges so you know if I've shared that I'm vaccinated or not. And what that will allow us to do as an organization uh, is better protect our employees because through the summer, vaccinated employees did not have to wear masks indoors per CDC guidance. Unvaccinated employees were supposed to. Um, I hoped our employees would take that to heart and follow it. Some did. But I know of multiple instances where unvaccinated employees did not wear their mask as required by the CDC and Department of Labor and James City County policy, and it put other employees at risk. And my job is to do to the best of my ability to protect our employees following CDC and Department of Labor. And so the Department of Labor at this point has deferred to CDC guidance on employer masking. And Today, we're all masked because in, in the high transmission that we're under, I guess we're under a substantial or high, it's about those two top two categories, uh, masking is required for all indoors if you can't maintain the social distancing and, and those kinds of things. So today, all county employees are required to be masked indoors if they can't maintain that space. As the transmission levels drop, and I believe they will in the coming months, uh, I expect CDC and Department of Labor will still require unvaccinated uh, to wear masks indoors. And so what I'm trying to set up with the ID badge is not to punish anybody or make them feel bad, but wearing the badge where we can see it, number one, we'll know you're a county employee. So I think that generates better building security in our facilities. If you're talking to an employee out in the field, you'll know by their badge if they're not in uniform, because many of us are not in uniform. We may be dressed, but we're not uh, necessarily identified as a county employee. You'll be able to see that we have our badges with us. And then for those that have chosen to share their vaccination status and being and are vaccinated, uh, we'll be able to identify by their badge and they won't be required to wear masks when 
that falls off. So for those that think we're doing terrible things to our staff, we're not trying to mistreat them. We're not trying to do anything that undermines their HIPAA protected rights. We're just trying to ask for those willing to share their status. So if they're willing to share it and they are vaccinated, we can differentiate and better protect our workforce uh, and the public going forward. So if there are questions on that, I was always encouraged um, employees or residents to ask. Opinions are all both extremes when you talk about masking and vaccines and you know I'm trying to do based on what others in the region are doing based on the guidance that's coming to us and make informed decisions. And it's tough. COVID has been hard to know what the right decision is from the beginning because we, we have some information, but we don't seem to have it all. Um, and I guess that's just the nature of sort of a new disease out there. So, uh, but always having to talk with people. And again, I, I, I provide my phone number a number, number of times, but I'm trying to get a few calls, but I'm always happy to talk at 757-253. Six three, well, I'll make it up. Oh three, Renee. Six three or six six oh three. Excuse me. Six six oh three. Woo! All right, make that number. <laughs> Anyhow, seven five seven two five three six six oh three is my number. Yep. So, oh, got it this time. Yeah. At any rate, another uh, thing before I get into the uh, board meeting that I'd like to talk about, or anything else on COVID that I've left off, Renee. You've been pretty involved in all that day to day kind of stuff, and no, I think you covered it all. All right. Well, again, I'm sorry we're talking about that again, but it's important enough for all of us to be aware and just be safe and and, and carry on, right? I think we'll get through this as well. Absolutely. Uh, a, bit, a bit more exciting and better news, I, I think, is I wanted to share that uh, Habitat for Humanity here uh, is building the first 3D printed house uh, that Habitat has built in Virginia. It's the second 3D printed house uh, that's been built in Virginia, same contractor. He built one in Richmond maybe last month and building this one here in James City County starting in August. Uh, they're just building the outside walls, but it's uh, a pretty interesting concept. Uh, again, I'd like to at least see if I can share this screen again and let you sort of see, because for those that are able to see, um, I think pictures help. But basically what they set up is this framework um, around the house. And then they have this printing device, which is functioning just like a 3D printer, uh, only a larger scale that has concrete flowing through it. And it's a special mix of concrete. And over here in the photo to the bottom, you can see the lighter color. Well, that was printed yesterday. And then I happen to be on site today. And that's what they've printed today. And in theory, this house could be printed in one continuous movement. And they had shared it would take about 19 hours to completely build the outside walls with the heat um, and just being sort of a new process, they have broken it up into three or four hour time blocks. So they'll have the outdoor walls built um, within about a five day period, which is pretty interesting. Um, they do have a normal foundation here. So if you normally would have a, a cement or a concrete foundation, normally you'd have block that come up. This is built on that foundation. So that is very similar. It'll be a slab home. So that this will be slab. And then what you'll have uh, interior will be normal, uh, wood and sheetrock to build the walls interior. They're gonna put sheetrock on the interior walls here, this exterior wall on the inside. So when you're in the home, it won't appear to be a concrete home at all. Um, but it's the hope is that it's more cost-effective to build. Uh, it's known to be stronger, both um, um, from, well, just stronger in terms of being more durable and stronger built. And then it's also expected to be 50% more energy efficient. So a similar sized home next to it, if it had a hundred dollar a month energy bill, this at the expectation of this home, it would be 50. And it's a partnership um, with the university systems and that will be monitored to see, is that really the case in terms of energy efficiencies and those kinds of things going forward. Um, 
I also have a short video, just so if you wonder how that really looks, you can maybe see here, again, of just this printer head moving along. It goes around, there are really two walls there, so it goes around the structure twice for every level. They put a little metal every six or eight levels, and uh, uh, pretty interesting to walk. So again, we'll have that uh, built and done uh, here in James City County. I think there'll be a tremendous amount of positive press. I'm really excited for the homeowner. Um, I think she's uh, she's going to be in a home that I think is envied by many in terms of uh, stronger, more energy efficient, and probably the way of the future for a lot of construction. Again, it's pretty new technology in the U.S. in terms of this type of printing it. Concrete homes aren't new, but this type of construction is, um, and there'll be a lot of learning and study and, and positive things that come out of this project here in James City County. So I do want to uh, say thank you to Habitat. I'm told that our own housing uh, staff member, Von Poller, was really a lead person of connecting this contractor to our Habitat. And so I was told on site today, he gets credit uh, or he gets blamed if it goes bad and the contractor and Habitat get credit if it goes well. But I do want to thank Vaughn for being sort of out there and looking after our community. And he's really committed to James City County and housing and trying to help where he can. Uh, and has been part of a lot of housing grants and bringing millions into the community to help uh, some of our community members that need that assistance. And this 3D home is not just for Habitat. It will be, I think, mainstream for many of us going forward. So really fun to be part of, a, I guess, evolving technology. Well, and then speaking of technology, look at you taking pictures and then putting them in a fancy grid kind of thing and then <laughs> shooting video and sharing your screen it's you know Renee I guess all of us do it all at least a little bit right so, <laughs> well you did a good job well and then uh, anyhow thank you very much for that and uh, anyhow more going forward but uh, pretty exciting times for for James City County I think um, I do want to go back uh, again we, we talked about board meetings I think we you and I had last talk at the end of June we took July off mm -hmm. which was nice, I guess, or at least it, well, I took July off for, from podcasting, but I'm really happy to be back because I like doing these. Um, but our board meeting or board supervisor meeting July 13th is really their meeting of public comment, public hearing. Um, they had two significant, a few public hearings, but two that were significant. Uh, the first one I want to mention is a Cox Cable franchise. Um, it was approved by the board, not a whole lot of public comment. And I just want to reiterate to the community, it is for cable only. It does not prohibit any other cable provider or that would like to come to the community from coming into the community. So it is not an exclusive contract. And the Board of Supervisors has very little ability to control anything related to service or cost or other things, which is really frustrating for them and the community who believes because we the board approves the franchise, they have all this authority over Cox, the federal laws do not allow us to do much more than allow Cox to be within the community. And there are some criteria within that, but it doesn't allow us to address most of the concerns. We have shared them with Cox. They have said they're working on things. Um, but again, the board often talks with people who are frustrated with Cox and the service and not having a choice. Um, but, but that franchise was approved for another 10 years um, this past July. With that said, uh, we are talking, um, staff is with a number of other providers. And so my hope is in the near term, we will have some other news to share about what might bring either choice or other options to members of our community. At this point, I, I don't have any more that I can share other than to let uh, the community know we have reached out to anybody in the world that we think would provide um, broadband or cable service. Uh, and we do have good conversations going on with a couple. So time will tell on that. And I hope to have some good news in the coming months. Um, the other public hearing that generated a lot of interest was on our comprehensive plan. Um, the 
Planning Commission had had a public hearing in June, which generated several hours of, of comment and a lot of community interest in terms of attendance. So the Board of Supervisors held a similar public hearing July 13th. Uh, we spent about two hours listening to public comment on the comp plan. So again, another very well attended and um, uh, very well received in terms of input from the community. And, uh, and I know the board appreciates hearing from community members. We do as staff. And so I wanna thank those that came out and spent a couple hours with us uh, in early July. And then the board has talked about bringing the comp plan back for discussion. They didn't make any, the board didn't make any decisions following the public hearings. They wanted to be able to just sort of listen and have a few uh, months to decide. And so I expect that it'll be back on their agenda in late September, meaning their business meeting. Uh, and at the end of September, let me make sure I give you the date right, Renee, as I make up things sometimes. <laughs> but it's September 28th is their business meeting and it's a one o'clock meeting. And that's where the board I expect will have uh, at least some more conversation about the comp plan, whether they approve it or make modifications to it. I don't know at this time, but I do think they'll have some conversation there. Um, at their July 27th business meeting, um, had a lot of information to cover there. I will say the Chamber, the Greater Williamsburg Chamber came to present the role of the Drum Award, which is the highest award they can give. And they really were giving it to the three localities of James City County, Williamsburg, and York County for our response to COVID and in particular our vaccine, our vaccine clinics that we set up jointly together. And so we're very honored and appreciative of the chamber for recognizing the efforts. And it certainly wasn't myself or the board of supervisors in terms of doing all that as much as it was our staffs that worked tirelessly to set it up and behind the scenes. And then our volunteers and staff members and folks in other departments coming to support the clinic. Uh, and the clinic, before we closed it in the May timeframe, had provided over 20,000 vaccinations. Uh, I think really was a good model of how to run things and really shows what we can do working together and logistically we can work. And again, our staff and, and um, really may be proud through all of that. So I think that is uh, something that was worthy of the role of the Drum Award. Uh, that being said, we've been asked about boosters. It wasn't part of the board meeting. Um, we are discussing that, as I mentioned earlier with COVID, we have talked about, should we set up clinics for boosters if they become uh, needed? And the answer is we are studying that if the demand seems to be there uh, and the local pharmacies and doctor's offices and others aren't able to uh, keep up with the demand, I think we would work as localities again to establish clinics in a short-term basis uh, to sort of meet that initial demand that's anticipated. So uh, more to come on that, but just to, for the community to know, we are talking about that. Um, at the July uh, Board of Supervisors meeting, again, another had a presentation on homelessness. It was really led by uh, our social services staff, but we had our partner agencies in attendance and there, and there have been ongoing conversations about homelessness in James City County uh, for a very long time and how to best address that. Those conversations have, were intensified through COVID as we couldn't do the normal sheltering where you put everybody in one room together, the congregate type sheltering last uh, winter. And so we're moving into that again this winter, um, but really the bigger issue is how do we help those that are homeless transition from homeless to, to not homeless, or how do we keep people that are right on the edge of becoming homeless, finances or otherwise, how do we help them not have to make uh, lose a place to live? So a lot of conversation going on there and a presentation to the board there in July. And then we've talked about a trash consolidation study, but we did have a presentation to the Board of Supervisors to sort of kick off this study. Uh, we'll be back, or this, our consultant will be back this fall to sort of follow up on the findings from the study. But we are soliciting um, a scientific uh, surveys. So we're polling a number of our community members just randomly. So if you've received those calls, I hope you participated. Uh, we do have abilities for others to have input from the public. So those that were not surveyed have an opportunity to share either through our website or I think we'll have some meetings 
meetings in the fall that will provide those opportunities for public comment. So we are interested in what the community thinks. Uh, some of the why behind it uh, that I've heard, and you know, we've asked why are we doing this? One is as an urbanizing community or a growing community, and we're projected to continue to grow. Making sure we have adequate sanitation services is important. Right now, we have a collection of private companies doing it, and I think they're doing it well. Uh, the and hope of the board was that maybe as we're continuing to grow, we could do the, the same service or better service at a lesser cost. So we'll see. Those are the things we're debating. And then if we have a storm-related uh, event uh, that we'd be better prepared to come by and pick up the woody debris that almost always follows those heavy windfall or wind uh, events that uh, come through our community from year to year. So some of the, you know, I guess, challenges or decision points for the Board of Supervisors will be, do we do it at all? Do we do it or not? Um, and that is a choice. Uh, do we make it mandatory or voluntary? Again, another choice. What is our service area? Is it countywide or is it a particular uh, developed area of the county for us that's that primary service area makes a lot of sense but it maybe be those or some select neighborhoods um, and the thing that drives mandatory or voluntary is cost if it's a voluntary program then it's much less cost effective if it's a mandatory program we have concerns of what does that do to the private contractors particularly the smaller contractors uh, but I believe your cost would be much better and you would get more options for service. And again, uh, we can just pick up garbage. We can pick up garbage and recycling. We can pick up garbage and recycling and bulk goods. We can pick up limbs, leaves, all those other things that people and other communities put by the curb and the, and the locality takes it away. Those are the kinds of things we're talking through to see what would the community like and then what would the cost be uh, to implement that. And then the final thing will be do, if we were to move forward, do we James City County buy the trucks and hire the people or do we contract that out with somebody to, to do that service for us. So a lot of conversation coming this fall, but I think it's a good project for us to be talking through. Um, the other part of the July 27th meeting, the board awarded a number of contracts that replace uh, replacement of an ambulance, just normal capital replacement for us. Uh, they awarded a contract to replace a fire rescue truck. Uh, they awarded a contract to replace the roof on our emergency communication center out on Forge Road. And they voted on a contract to replace the voter registrar's poll books. And the poll books really are taking old um, laptops that have a software that allows them to function as poll books and really we're converting those to iPads. And again, our voter registrar, sure, there's no security issues with that whatsoever. People get very concerned about voter and access to it. Uh, the voting records are still protected and they are a different system, but these are the poll books that will allow uh, our, our volunteers and other to make sure we know who's coming to vote. And so I do know voter uh, safety is very important and our register is really on top of that and reassured our board numerous times that she still feels very confident in the validity of the vote count coming out of James City County. Uh, they also accepted several grants. These were minor grants for in July the board accepted, but I do always commend our staff for pursuing and some grants are more automatic than others, but we have a staff and throughout our, our county that are looking for ways to leverage our local funds and grants are a way to do that. So we accepted a few of those. And then there were some VDOT transportation funding requests that are really more long-term of us asking VDOT to help move some projects here in James City County forward. Um, sort of an odd uh, item on the board's uh, meeting was the approval of $65 million in bond issuance um, for the uh, Virginia United Methodist Housing. Um, it is really a private company that by working through our Economic Development Authority and coming to and getting the Board of Supervisors approval for the refinancing, there is no liability to the county whatsoever. We are not involved in all any of it at all other than it's come through our EDA and the county has said it's a, something they approve of as well. But for the private entity, and in this case, the Virginia Methodist Housing, 
um, it allows them to get a little better interest rate on their bond sale. And so it's their liability. They're primarily refinancing and getting a better interest rate. And then they had a few million dollars in there for some minor improvements in their facility. So that if you see that on one, somebody should see that and wonder what in the world the county was thinking. Again, we are just helping an entity here through a method that's allowable under state code to get a better rate of financing, but no liability to the county. Uh, they also held a public hearing at the July 27th meeting uh, on a significant budget amendment. It was uh, over $7 million uh, that all, and also approved as part of that the purchase of three buildings at Courthouse Green. So we have three buildings behind the courthouse. One has been our court services building. We have been in it since the building was built. It's about a 12, uh, 12 or 15,000 square foot building. We have paid lease payments for 20 years. We probably have bought the building a time or two uh, through that, uh, but we needed that. So that's one. So that's one building we purchased. The other we purchased is a building that is currently occupied by the Virginia Department of Health and a local attorney. Department of Health leases up in the spring. And what prompted our purchase beyond already being in one of those buildings is the need for a voter uh, registrar space. Uh, we've gone through a space needs study. Our voter registrar is in a pretty small space in terms of her, her need today and into the future. Uh, the building that VDH is currently occupying uh, our voter registrar believe would be a very good space for her. Um, and again, so that building will primarily become the voter registrar's office and will allow for the early voting. And this 45 day requirement for early voting, I think is a really good thing for our voters, but it takes a lot of space and staff time. And so having the voter registrar who can be in her office and have space there for that function as well, I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, we were talking internally and had been talking with the Board of Supervisors about an addition to the Recreation Center that would allow the voter registrar's office to be there. The cost of, of her just expanding at the Recreation Center was going to be in the three to four million dollar range, so it was a significant expenditure. The purchase of these three buildings uh, and some renovation work to them is somewhere in the seven million dollar range, so we're getting really triple the space that we would have built at much less cost. And then the third building that um, we're purchasing as part of this is really one that has an orthodontics and dentist office back in the back, but it's all behind the courthouse. So it's contiguous to, uh, which is, I think it really will benefit the community long-term. And um, at the end of the July meeting, the board of supervisors did make a number of appointments uh, to the colonial behavioral health board, our social services advisory board and our economic development authority. Uh, so um, that seemed to be July. So the board was busy in July. They took August off. Mm -hmm. So from our August standpoint, I think they, we all sort of have enjoyed that break. I think the board and staff and not having that regular every couple of weeks of putting an agenda together and having a meeting, but we'll be back in September. So that's, uh, uh, that, that breaks almost over now. Uh, a couple of the projects just to hit on since uh, the, it's been a few months, the Marina project, we have made some progress. We continue to be a little slower than we'd like, but we do, our contractor does have floating docks there. You can, if you've been there or uh, have, have interest in that, we'd hope to have it done by summertime. We now have a deadline of sometime toward the end of December, uh, but it is making progress. And again, I think when it is completed, uh, James City County residents that use the marina, both those that rent slips, those that come, those that come down and rent kayaks or launch their boat there, or just come down to Billsburg and enjoy the, the scenic scenery there of boats and waterway. I think we will all be very pleased with the finished project. And again, uh, there is progress being made there, just not as quickly as some of us would like. So that is moving along. Um, and Renee, that might be enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is definitely a lot. 
Um, it seems to be, and that's not a complaint. You know, I, no. I didn't get into our ARPA funding. We are, we have reached out to departments to send it in. And so September, uh, we'll have some more conversations about what do we do with this federal money, the American Rescue Plan money, James City County's portion of about $15 million. And uh, what do we do with that money over the next two to four years and involving our board in September, October, and sort of what, what we see the needs and where that might best be served. So uh, there's still a lot to talk about and a lot going on and a really exciting time to be part of James City County. County and, and helping the community through COVID and also looking forward to the future. So, Well, and I know because it's summertime and you somehow love that. And even though it's super duper hot, you're still enjoying that, right? Um, you know, Renee, just on a personal side, the answer is yes. I like summertime. <laughs> I'm not always great with the tie, uh, but I will tell you my vehicle, um, uh, you know, things go out at the darndest times, right? My vehicle's air conditioning system works, but my fan in the front doesn't blow all the time. So for this week, uh, Scott's had his windows down and um, air conditioning when I go down the highway, but not so much when I'm sitting still. And again, we all have our moments, but it's just uh, still love summer. It's still good. <laughs> well, that is good. I am very glad. So I do have one question, not to put you on the spot, but I guess I am. Um, right. How are we doing tourism wise here in James City County this summer? Um, you know, our, I think in talking through with Ms. Larson and listening to the Tourism Council meeting and looking at our revenues, things have recovered very well. Um, so I would tell you we're doing well. Uh, when we, what I see on it are revenue sides, um, and we will lag a few months. So uh, as we get into that, our receipts are well above what they were in 20. They're not quite where they were in 19, but it's made a very nice recovery. And talking with Ron Kirkland with the Hotel Motel Association, um, I think they would tell you their room, the, the number of room nights sold is a little less than 2020, but what people are paying for those rooms is a little more. So the overall revenue for the hotel industry, I believe is better today than it was in 19, or it's at least recovered to that point. So I think people are very optimistic at this point that things are going well. Um, you know, we continue to hear throughout the business community, but tourism jobs in particular, restaurants and other service industry, that getting people to come to work is very difficult. Uh, that's not an issue here. I hear, you know, as I listen to news and talk to people and friends in other parts of the country, that seems to be an issue really nationwide. And so um, it's just a reminder for all of us that while the recovery's there and the demand's there, and we go, why isn't that business open today? Well, they're not open because they, they can't, they don't have the staff and they can't take their current staff and make them work seven days a week, 14 hours a day without just burning them out. And so that continues to be a struggle. I don't quite know what the answer is to that. Uh, I would say on the county side, we have some of those same challenges of, uh, we have some positions on our entry level side that are very difficult to fill. People um, either have other options and they're just not coming here today. And uh, um, it's not affected us yet but it is a struggle for areas of mowing the grass and manning the convenience centers. And um, those are real things that ultimately, if I had 10 people and I only have six filled, we struggle. And so we're mm -hmm. having some of those same in local governments as well. And um, I, I do think it'll get better, but that's probably our biggest challenge with tourism, uh, Renee, is just being able to meet the demand because the demand's good. Right. And we just all have to remember to be kind and especially to the folks that show up and we're going to continue to make it through this. That's right. And I'm, I'm, I appreciate the reminder of be kind. I've gotten better at that. I'm, I'm not always as patient as I should be when I go in a place and I sit down, I'm ready for somebody to take my order and bring my food because I'm hungry. And, and I've had to, my, my wife's very good at saying, you know, Scott, let's 
be patient. And, and I think that is a reminder to all of us. There are people under a lot of stress and a lot of industries. Um, and I think we all can make it better by smiling and saying thank you and, and understanding that they're doing the best they can at the moment. And sometimes people need to give me a little more patience. And oftentimes I need to uh, offer that to others as well. So that's a great reminder. Okay. Well, it wasn't really pointed at you, but I'm glad that you shared with us now that that's well, and, and you talk tourism. I know in talking with uh, Kevin Lempke and Bush Gardens things, uh, business-wise has been good. Again, they're struggling some unemployment too, but they're still excited about moving to Hallis Scream. And I'm really, you know, I told Kevin that I'm, I'm really impressed that he, he figured out a way uh, to keep the park open through 2020. Um, under a thousand person a day capacity, who would have ever thought that would have right. made any sense at all. And while it was a modified opening, I think that was really good for the spirits of, of people in the community, for those that were needing to work, uh, and to give us all hope that things will get back to normal one day. And again, they've had a, I believe a very good summer and I hope their fall will continue. We're still worried about the, of course, the Delta variant, the spiking cases, uh, but I think we'll see that burn through our population too and sort of level off, which is what it's done in other areas. And hopefully that'll be sooner than later. But um, overall, I think things are going well. Well, good. Well, Scott, as always, thank you so much. Maybe next month we'll be able to be in person again. Yeah, you know, I hope so, Renee. We'll we'll play that by ear. You know, in the office, we're walking around in masks, so at least we're mm -hmm. mostly here in the office and seeing one another. We're just masked, and yeah, like I said the podcast didn't lend itself quite that well to be sitting across the table with mask on and talking into the mic. So right, and with two cameramen in the same room, it's That's yeah, right. it's, it's so, I, so. I hope we're back together in the same room in September, but certainly October, I expect we will be. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that wraps up this episode of This Week in James City County. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, please go to our website. We're at jamescitycountyva.gov slash podcast. And while there, please leave us comments, critiques, show ideas. We would love to hear from you. Also, be sure to subscribe. That way you will never miss an episode. So once again, thank you so much. And we will talk with you next time.